When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Legendary crooner Paul Anka performs live at Strathmore in North Bethesda next Tuesday, June 21st. For Anka sings Sinatra, his songs, my songs, my way. I spoke to Anka about his biggest hits, from Put Your Head on My Shoulder to Puppy Love, as well as writing the Tonight Show theme for Johnny Carson and the iconic song, My Way, for Frank Sinatra. Hello. Hey, Paul Anka. Hi, Jason. Hey, Paul. Th- hey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Thank you. Thanks for having me, sir. Now, we spoke to you, actually. You called in probably, gosh, years ago, like in 2015 or something. So we invite our, li- <laughs> we invite well, our listeners. We called to- you in on the new album. Yeah, I yes, think so. We spoke, I think, a while back. We did. Yeah. So I, we invite our listeners to check that out in the archives. But today, we're glad you're back promoting uh, You're Coming to Strathmore. It's called An Evening with Paul Anka. Anka sings Sinatra, his songs, yeah. my songs, my way on June 21st. Um, is it all Sinatra? I, well, I assume it's his songs, your songs. No, and- no, 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 no. <laughs> I can't forget my, my core base, my American bandstand friends. We're doing a kind of a combination of both. There's um, you know a bunch of hits, stuff I've written for um, other people. I'm doing the Michael Jackson, Tom Jones, uh, and I'm only doing a segment, a few songs of Sinatra, yeah. Gotcha. Are you allowed to say which ones? I assume one is, the, is My Way, which you wrote for him. Yeah, we'll be doing a couple that I've written for him. Let me try again. I'll be doing uh, My Way, and then some great arrangements that he gave me. I'll be doing uh, a few of those. Uh, I'll leave the titles out, keep the surprise up, and then got a tribute to Sammy Davis. But I'm anxious to get back to that theater because the last time we were there, we had a wild, sold-out crowd, and they were very enthusiastic. So we're looking forward to getting back there again. Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful building. I remember the first time I walked in there, I wasn't prepared for how grand it (laughs) looks in there. It's an amazing space to play. I'm sure the acoustics are great, too. Yeah, Um, for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, I, we went. I want to. Of course, we mentioned that you wrote um, my way. I, I would. I'll get to that in a second. But I'd like to always sort of move chronologically, if we could. I'd love to remind our listeners, like where exactly you grew up, how you got into music to begin with. Well, Ottawa, Canada. That's where I grew up. That's where I was born. Um, I want to be a journalist and a writer, but that went by the wayside after they tried to throw shorthand at me. <laughs> so I took music and. Uh, I started writing. I had a band, uh, you know, at 13 or 14. Um, saw a girl I had a crush on. Her name was Diana, but she was older. Wanted nothing to do with me. And um, from that point, I was just playing it at parties. And uh, ultimately, I talked my dad into letting me go to New York on Easter break. You know, I had a paper route, and I was a caddy, and I saved up some money and had some friends down here. And I just took my songs up to ABC Paramount. So it started when I was 15 with Diana, and that kind of changed my life. And uh, 
started touring with all my friends, you know, the Elderly Brothers and Frankie Avalon and Fabian, Chuck Berry, the Platters, that whole group. So it it really was a launching pad when pop music was in its infancy stage back then. No one really had any indication, obviously, where we're at today. And I just started touring with these guys. In fact, I lived uh, in Washington on Connecticut Avenue. My partner was the Feld family who owned some super drugstores. And um, my career went from there. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time in Europe. That's where I met the Beatles <laughs> and came home and told my agent about them. And they flew over and brought them over here. So I was kind of responsible for them coming to this country and changed the whole landscape of the music industry, which they did. You know, they opened the, the doors to acceptance. We were not really an accepted you know, group of musicians other than for our fans. And then it just kind of evolved from there. And my first real experience writing for others was for my buddy, Buddy Holly. He was my dear, dear friend. And, you know, I wrote It Doesn't Matter Anymore for him. And fortunately, the last song he ever recorded, he died in one of the tours. And that was a very sad moment. But that song, I'll be doing a whole kind of dedication to him uh, on stage with that. And uh, that really got me into the kind of vibe of writing for others because I wasn't sure how long I was going to last just writing my own stuff. I was you know, still a teenager and I kind of committed myself to, you know, writing for other people whenever I could. Thus, you know, Buddy and Connie Francis and Tonight Show theme, Longest Day, and it just went from there right into the 60s. Absolutely. Well, you you mentioned Diana there as you know, you're sort of your one of your first big ones. Uh, tell me about I think believe last time you told us that that um, your personal favorite was put your head on my shoulder. That's my personal favorite of yours, too. And re recently, there's a new artist Doja Cat that sort of sampled it. So a new generation. What do you think when you hear a new generation uh, sampling such a classic like that of yours? <laughs> well, it's been an experience like a 40 million down. I mean, it's bizarre. We've got, you know, teenagers at the show, and, you know, they're coming up for autographs and they've got albums and you got to be humbled by it. Who knew, you know, who knew TikTok was coming at us? So when you've got the success of that song that was, you know, I wrote it at 17 and yeah. certainly my favorite from back then and all the action that it's getting now and, the, you know, the new fan base, it's, amazing you know i've been doing this for a few years and to all of a sudden see this whole new demographic if you will embracing that song and all the oldies i'm getting a huge kick out of it i mean i'm just totally as i said humbled by the fact that you know we know music's a big part of our life and we know that it will always be around us but for it to kind of articulate itself into a young generation i'm getting the biggest kick out of it and her record was fantastic you know she does her own thing so i've been watching it unfold and certainly watching it today and uh i'm loving every minute of it every minute of it now puppy love is starting to bubble out of there so it's cool yeah it's tell me cool. so so real for real quick before we move to puppy love tell me about like you know I, I i wanted to ask you about the doja cat sample but tell me a little more about the actual original recording of put your head on my shoulder what inspired it well you know i was, I was living all of a sudden that new life yeah. And, you know, not unindigenous today when you look at these young artists. You're living a isolated life at times. You're, you got, you know, thousands of fans running after you and you're locked away in rooms. And 
you know, back then we, we did promotion on records and it was doing these record hops for DJs to get your records played. So DJs all over the country would invite you to come and do these record hops, which were a DJ event and three, 400 kids show up and dance. And I was up there lip syncing one of my records and I saw them all holding each other and putting their heads on each other's shoulders, which was the big challenge back then. If you got that far, you really scored, right? That's some risque stuff back then. A head on a shoulder. Ooh, that's... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I just went back to my room and I said, I'm not enjoying any of that, but wow, that's inspiring. And uh, I think I'd mentioned back then with you, I, I wrote it and called Annette, who was kind of dating at the time, I wrote Puppy Love for her, and uh, I kind of sang it to her, and that that's the uh, the origin of that song, you know. Wow, yeah, I, my favorite part is how you always go, baby, that's the best part, in my humble oh, opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool, well, and I know, say again? I said I accept that. Oh, you accept baby. that. Very cool, baby. Uh, yeah. Well, it's awesome. I, and I know around that time, it probably would have gone number one, but but that dastardly friend of yours, Bobby Darren, that Mac the Knife, a little Bobby song. Bobby Darren, Mac <laughs> the Knife. <laughs> Just a little yeah, song. You might have heard that of it. Story. <laughs> yeah, well, we were friends. You know, he, uh, he was a great artist. And, uh, you know, we would always, you know, tease about that. But Shoulder did, you know, was number two there for a while. And after a while, you don't care. It's only number stuff, you know. Yeah. But it was one of the most, you know, successful of yeah. that Lonely Boy back then. And uh, yeah. Darren started getting into the whole swing thing, which I did. I got into swings with young lovers. We had a hit with Hello, Young Lovers. But we, you know, we were kids. We we, we didn't know what the future was. We kind of wanted to emanate the Rat Pack. That was our goal, yeah. looking at them and wanting to be like them, which eventually I you know, made that evolution into that whole world because I felt I needed to survive. Yeah, yeah but Mac the Knife, that was the, uh, the door blocker, but I didn't mind because I really loved Bobby. He was a, he was a great artist. Yeah, but so that might he might have got the last laugh slightly edging you out with that. But then when it came time for him to do Beyond the Sea and you to do Puppy Love, I think Puppy Love, I think you charged ahead of him and beat him in the horse race that time. So tell us uh, any any memories of of you of how you came up with Puppy Love. Like what was that? Wasn't it something to do with like Disney saying that uh, something with the Disney property? Well, it had to do with Disney and Annette because I was dating her and they were you know, very concerned, obviously, back in the 50s. It's, it was a whole different uh, approach to sexuality and dating and everything. And she was a friend, and we got close, and they were concerned because of imaging, you know. She was uh, America's sweetheart, and here I was, a frisky little teenager. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were trying to break us up, and, you know, they kept hitting us with the line, it's, you know, not meaningful, and it's just a puppy love, etc. And uh, we both started feeling the heat of uh, breaking up. And I just sat down and said, okay, here you go. And they called it puppy love and rolled it right into Donnie Osmond. And that had its whole other life, but that's how that song started. Great. And uh, of course you mentioned you started writing songs for a bunch of other people. You said Connie Francis, who did Teddy, uh, Buddy Holly, it doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Tom Jones, she's a lady. What was it like working with Tom Jones? I mean, that was a unique cat. His voice was all <laughs> I loved some Tom Jones, man. <laughs> he's got he's a great singer. Uh well I met him, you know, we hung out a lot when they came to the United States and uh you know, he would always ask me, him and his manager, because they loved my way and 
I saw Papa, and they were, you know, kind of into my music, and it said, we never had, well, I've never had a number one record in the United States, which is true. All his records, when you check it out, they were, you know, top 10, top 20, and and, and really a very unique talent. I mean, you know, incredible voice, and they were very successful, him and Engelbert Humperdinck, who I wrote for. Yeah. And um, I went and did this TV show in England, and uh, we were partying and having a good time, and I kind of studied his whole vibe. You know, it was all sexuality and that great voice. And I, I think I told you back then, I, I, on the way home from London, I I wrote it on the back of a menu. I think it was TWA. I wrote the words and I started the song and sent them the demo and they loved it. And it was his first number one record in the United States. She's a lady. Wow. I mean, it it, it is a gem. Uh, Well, real, maybe time for one more before we wrap it back around to... um you know, my way and stuff. But I want to know, you mentioned that you wrote, you wrote the iconic tonight show theme, you know, the one that Johnny Carson would come out to the famous one. How how did they recruit you to do that? And like, sort of, what were you sort of going for musically when you're like, okay, I I need something that that wakes people up at night, gets them excited for these jokes, but you know what I mean? How do you get tasked to do that? Yeah. Well, really simple. I'd hired Johnny to come to England to um, be a comic on my TV special, you know, way before he, he really became famous. And I liked him a lot. And I just ran into him in New York, uh, post the TV special. And, um, I said, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm going to do this tonight show thing for about a year or two. Ha ha ha. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, I'm changing this and changing that. He says, I want a new theme on there. I said, yeah, you know, you talked to the right guy. So as you appropriately said, I um, said, well, what's simple? You know, da 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 da, because I knew it wasn't going to go on for three minutes. So it was simple, did the demo, brass. The backstory is that Sketch Henderson, who was the, uh, the conductor, he was you know, three times my age, I think. He said, ah, I don't want any kid writing that this is my show and I was here first, all that baloney. <laughs> and uh, Johnny gave me the bad news. I said, wow, I said, because I got something cool. And uh, I said, by the way, John, I'll give you half the song, all the royalties. So I, 24 hours later, I got a call. He said, you got it. <laughs> so, A, A, we didn't know it was going to be on for umpteen years. Uh, real successful. And uh, I was very proud of that because it was that same time that I wrote the theme to The Longest Day. Which, oh, you uh, wrote the theme to, the, you mean the, 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 the John Wayne movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You yeah, wrote the, the film and then talk Mr. Zanuck into using it because there was no music in the film. Mm-hmm. So I wrote The Longest Day uh, for Mr. Zanuck and the film, yeah. Wow. I See, I, that's when I when I yeah. talk to legends like yourself. That's the kind of stuff I love. I mean, we got we got to hit the highlights, puppy love and head on my shoulder, etc. But I love when we find out that, oh, by the way, you've been listening to the Tonight Show theme your whole life or watching The Longest Day your whole life, and you didn't know that Mr. Paul Anker <laughs> wrote that too. Uh, I love it. Uh, well, bringing, yeah. it, bringing it full circle then, I guess, because this concert, you know, it's it's called you know his songs my songs my way um you remind our listeners that story i guess you were you were you felt you were too young to sing my way you were like late 20s so you you gave it to sinatra like how, how do you write a song that's i mean you're looking back at a career it opens with the and now the end is here and facing the final curtain but you were just getting started at the time so how, how do you get how did you get yourself in the mindset to kind of write as a veteran even though you were a beginner well you're wearing separate hats yeah and when i realized early that I was the writer and I was going to work at my craft, you know, at a real young age, it's longest day and tonight show theme. I mean, stuff that's 
really not about what I was writing about. <laughs> and hanging out with the Rat Pack and knowing those guys all those years, uh, it kind of culminated into when he and I he called me for dinner in Florida. I was, I don't know, 25, 26 years old, but, you know, I'd always done a few years with these guys in Vegas. And, you know, I would have given them money back for you know, carrying on and learning what I did with those guys. Right. And at dinner one night in Florida, uh, he had mentioned to me, because uh, he'd always teased me, because he hated pop music and Presley and all that stuff. He was into the American standard stuff. And he said to me uh, at dinner, he said, I'm quitting show business. I'm going to retire. And I've had enough. You know, the Rat Pack was winding down and People were all, you know, government and all that stuff were all after him. Anyway, uh, he said, I'm doing one more album with Don Costa. And uh, Don Costa was the guy that found me and who I introduced to Sinatra and recorded a lot of great hits with him. And he said, I'm doing one more album, kid, because that was my nickname. I was, you know, they're all twice my age. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, he was teasing. He never wrote me a song. And so anyway, I went back to New York and from Florida, and I, I couldn't believe it, you know. And, this is Sinatra you're talking about, quitting. And I think it was around midnight. I think I even told you that story. Big thunderstorm outside. And I was just sitting there with this melody that I had. And I just said to myself, Sinatra quitting. I, I just I couldn't get it. So metaphorically, I started writing it as if he were, not me. You know, I was now I'm the writer, but I'm, you know, whether it was Tom or anyone I've written for, I've studied their style. And it's almost like typecasting in a film. Right, and I just started writing it as if Sinatra were writing it, and and now the end is near, and you know saying things I would never approach, uh, ate it up and spit it out, and you know <laughs> I knew his jargon, I knew his way, his swagger. Yeah, and I finished it about five hours later, and uh, I called him in Las Vegas. He was doing one of his last dates at Caesars, and I said, "Hey, sir, I got something I think you might like." He said, "Fly out." I flew out. I played it to him in his dressing room uh, at night that I arrived, and he just looked at me, and I could tell by his vibe, you know, his body language, that he liked it, because he was never, you know, a four-minute guy of praise. And uh, he said, I'm going to do it. Anyway, fade out, fade in, about two, three months later, I'm in New York, and I get a call from a record studio in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, the operator says, Frank Sinatra calling, and he gets on, and he says, kid, I said, listen to this. He took the phone, he stuck it up into a speaker. <laughs> and I heard it all the way from Los Angeles for the first time. And I gotta tell you, I started crying. Yeah. I, I couldn't I knew right then that my my life had changed in the sense of my gravitas as a writer, you know. And it was huge for both of us. Uh and he retired. But the kick is that a couple of years later he called me back. He said, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to show business. Write me another one. And I wrote uh, Let Me Try Again, which I'll be featuring uh, uh, on the show. But that was the second song that he uh, introduced wow. at Madison Square Gardens when he came back for the main event. So that was a huge turning point and a, and a yeah. huge kind of emotional moment for me and for him because that song kind of turned things around for both of us, frankly. Wow, thanks for sharing that. I love that storage. And the you know, you get... You get those moments that, you know, you, 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 when you're dealing with music, you never know where and how this stuff lands. Nobody's got the crystal ball. And, yeah. you know, 
to live through that and then to live through, you know, writing the last three Michael Jackson hits, you know, it was culminating with Drake on his album with one of the songs. It's it's kind of a wild landscape to work with, you know, the great artists that are one of a kind. And just working with Michael and the whole backstory of songs we started and stealing my tapes and then they record them and they don't know that I wrote them and then all of a sudden I've got This Is It, Love Never Felt So Good and It Don't Matter Me With Drake was, it shows you karma's got everybody's address. So that was the next big musical moment for me is having the last, you know, three Michael Jackson hits. Yeah, and I think he even that big farewell tour he never really he never really got to do. He called This Is It and you wrote that song. So, um, wow, thanks for yeah, that. Yeah, they called This Is It, you know, they, they found it in his drawer. They didn't know they thought it was his because I originally started the song was called I Never Heard. Right. And it was just like disappeared till we found out that he'd re-recorded the tapes. They found them thinking he wrote it. They sweetened the tracks up that I made. Hmm. Somebody got wind of it and called me. I think it was Harvey Levin of TMZ. He said, Do we hear blah, blah, blah. I said, no, I didn't. I don't know anything about this. Is it? So they let me hear it, and then I figured it out. The first line of the song is, this is it, here I stand. But the song and the hook was, I never heard a single word. That was my main title. <laughs> so that was a big surprise, and to them, because, you know, I'd called them with my lawyers, and they'd screwed me in the beginning with it when they let them take the tapes. And I said, okay, now we're getting even, folks. Fifty <laughs> percent of everything. <laughs> wow, that's funny. That sort of came out of nowhere. It was, surprised I mean, everybody. Love never felt so good was a love. Never felt so good was a great record. Timberlake and him. I just loved that track. They did a great job on that song. It was Michael and Justin. I just wrote it, but that was a huge international record. It was the follow up to This Is It. Yeah. Wow, wow. I mean, you, yeah, you've done a little bit of everything. It's pretty wild. It's and yeah, and it spans generations, like we were talking about with the Doja Cat thing in the beginning. It's it's pretty wild. Um, are there, before we run, are there any lyrics in that, you know, in, in my way, you know, at the time you wrote it, just trying to put yourself in Sinatra's shoes, but now that you've lived a full life and had a full career, sort of like Sinatra had at the time when you're writing it, are there any lines that strike you differently now? You know, like regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention, you know, or is there anything that, that sits di- different with you now? It, it's all a part, you know, now it's all real, you know, when I introduced it. And singing it on stage, it was just as the presenter and the the author of the work. But now it's very meaningful. Every line works for me now. Um, Yeah. Whereas it didn't. I was 26 years old, you know. But today, at my age, absolutely now it all works superbly well, you know, and more. I mean, the emotion and the meaning that I get out of it, doing it now, presses a lot of buttons more so than when I was 26. You know, I was still feeling my way frankly but you know living in the whole kind of atmosphere the success of the song the kid frankly you know okay young young man but oh now oh god give it to me (laughs) yeah you sort of grew into each and every one of those lyrics it's a whole new perspective is is a son of a gun uh well wow wow yeah yeah keep it going you know the thing is the thing is to is keep on keeping on you know i don't I've had, I've been so blessed with, you know, we're on our tour now. We're just sold out. We're going to Europe. July, we're sold. The fans, you know, we had 4,000 people the other night, 3,000 Atlantic. So we're, we're enjoying all of this work that 
I don't get the vibe from people till I'm singing in front of them. And the fans have been just so amazing that I keep on just doing this, you know, the way I want to. I don't work a lot. I just do what I want to do because of the passion and because of the fan base. And it's a, a big kick to be able to be doing that right now, coming out of this whole COVID-19 thing. And, you know, and looking back, you know, and I do the whole story on stage and, you know, I was talking to my friend Michael Bublé, who I started and produced his first album. And, you know, I got Michael started and seeing where he is today. And we were just talking the other day about how far he's come. And, you know, I keep giving him what wisdom I can in terms of his career. He's a great artist. And to be able to launch him and help him get started and help raise the money when nobody even wanted to listen to the kid. You know, it's things like that, that when you stay in action, you keep doing it things happen. You know, you can't sit back on your your laurels and the money and all that. That's it's all BS because it's just so meaningless. At the end of the day, we're all meaningless, you know, in this big universe. Right. So it's making those moments happen creatively when you're in that kind of rare position and you're able to do it and have, you know, a fan base that supports you and gets it and uh, that shows it to you, you know, because when you write and you sit at home, there's a huge black hole between you and your public. I have no idea how I'm affecting them. That only comes across when you're up on that stage and getting the feedback from them personally. I mean, it's just crazy with the, you know, these teenagers now with the TikTok and the passion <laughs> of the audiences now and, you know, they're very selective in how they're spending their money. I, I graciously take all of that and what it means in my life to be still doing it because I know a lot of guys that just can't do it anymore and aren't doing it. They're all, you know, poor Mick's got 19 and Justin's sick and you never know from day to day who's getting flattened out for a while. It's a sad story, but when you've got a creative life and you've been blessed with that stuff, you got to do it if you're loving it up there. you got your health, just do it till it rides out because otherwise... Uh, you know, it's a life lottery. Who's next? Yeah, yeah. Well, you still got it, and you're still doing it, and we're glad you're doing it. Uh, real quick, final seconds. Uh, remind our listeners that your famous son-in-law, Jason Bateman. What'd you make of that Ozark finale? Do you, oh, do you, do you watch that? I'm so proud of him, man. Are you kidding? Is the Pope pray? <laughs> <laughs> Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> the Pope pray? I, I, I know beforehand what's happening. I'm so proud of Jason. He's a... He's a great guy. He wants to do some directing now. He's, my daughter's in there running the show with him, and uh, they're great kids. He's a, such a talented guy, and he's such a such a nice guy. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, family's everything. You know, you you can't really depend on much things in life because we're in come in alone, go out alone. But he's good family, and I love my family around me, and I love his whole attitude with his success. And uh, He's a talented guy. There's more to come from him, folks. Just stand by. It's coming. Oh, absolutely. Well, there's plenty more to come from you, too, sir. Uh, everyone, uh, again, it is an evening with Paul Anka. He's going to sing Sinatra, his songs, my songs, my way. It'll be at the Strathmore in North Bethesda, Maryland on Tuesday, June 21st. So get your tickets now, strathmore.org. Hey, Paul Anka, thank you so much for joining us once again. It's always a pleasure talking with you. You always well, do these away, deep dives. I appreciate you having talked to me again. And by the way, we've got a... Uh, uh, we're rolling out our PBS special this month all over the country. We've got the new album, Sessions, coming out, and we're in the midst of making the documentary of my life, and that'll be on uh, next year. 
and we're working real hard with that. But look out for the PBS special that's rolling out this month. What's that? What is it called? What What's the special? I just uh, did a big special for PBS in Las Vegas. Oh, cool. And it's starting to air all over the country, um, recorded in Las Vegas. Oh, that's going to be great. All right, yeah, everyone. Uh, PBS. Yeah, it's airing now. Everyone check out this concert at Strathmore and then uh, set the DVR for the PBS. You get a double dose of Paul Anka this month. I yeah. love it. Hey, thank you so much. It's all, You always have great stories every time you come on. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You'll, you'll hear them all on the documentary next year. All right. We'll stay tuned for that. Maybe we'll talk to you again then. <laughs> you Sounds good. It, Thanks. Take it easy. Be well. You too. Thank Bye. You. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.